a Mitch and Jeremy exclusive. Are you ready? On air. Online. On your smart speaker and wherever you stream. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews and episodes on demand now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of it. Look, let's get right into this. Absolutely thrilled to be talking to the one and only Paul Carrick. But our latest record, One on One, came out back in 2021. You pick it up wherever you get your music. Welcome to the show for the first time. Mitch has been nothing but enthusiastic and excited about this for the last two weeks. And uh, he's sort of giddy. So I'm going to let Mitch uh, take over now. <laughs> okay. No yeah, pressure then. I'm going to take over. And, and and by the way, I'm not the only one who's giddy. I was talking to our largest promoter in Canada the other day, and I said, oh, my next interview is Paul Carrick. And she was like, you're kidding. Tempted is my ringtone. I got <laughs> So they're, they're going to try to get uh, get Paul to come to Canada. But what I want to yeah. start with first, though, is being an independent artist. Back in around 2000, you started the Carrick UK label, and yep. you just sort of went, nah. Enough of Sony, enough of Universal, enough of all these labels. I'm going to do this myself. And yeah. I, I want to talk to you about that because that was a, a leap of faith, obviously, with the internet and, and eventually streaming. You said, why am I dividing this cake into all these little bits when I can have the whole cake to myself? Um, talk to me about becoming independent. Yeah, well, I mean, 20 years ago, the internet wasn't that uh, prevalent, I would say. I mean, maybe where you are, but where I am, it, it, you know, it, it wasn't. It was. It was a bit of a leap of faith. But I, I figured I'd been with a, a lot of labels over the years, and um, and a lot of bands, and had the benefit of some of that, um, you know, expertise and promotional clout. But um, which is fine when it's working for you. But if it, if it isn't, you know, it's a right. bit of a it, it, it's not really uh, that beneficial. So I started to make an album at the time. It was called Satisfy My Soul. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just did it at home. And I, I liked the way it was sounding. I, I liked the feel of it. And I didn't want to go, you know, shopping around for a, a proper record contract because I knew they'd say, well, could we, maybe this and maybe a bit more of that and the other. And I didn't want to do that. I, I was quite happy with the sound of it. And... Um, a good friend of mine um, who lives around the corner, he was actually the original drummer in Mike and the Mechanics, a guy called Peter Van Hook, had some experience of, um, with, with he had a small jazz label at one time and put out some weird stuff. And he said, well, why don't you just do it yourself? Right. And I said, oh, okay. But I mean, I didn't really have any idea how it worked. But, you know, we just started small time and um took it from there but i mean how does that work though usually with the label you got the big budget to pay musicians you got the distribution you got the marketing when you're doing it on your own is it self-funding or like yeah yeah it was self-funding but it it didn't i mean we didn't have a lot of money that we were willing to invest in a in such a crazy um project but um so basically what it did i mean it didn't cost me much to make the album because I've got my little studio at home and I was playing more or less everything and kind of engineering it. Nice. And um, the only thing we didn't really know, and Pete knew how to sort of get it manufactured and we got it, we found a distributor that, you know, 
uh, knew how to distribute this and, and kind of get it into the shops because we're still talking CDs yeah. prominently. Yeah. And um, we engaged a little bit of um, radio promotion, most basically in the UK. And we kind of used the guys who who we knew from Mike and the Mechanics and what have you, and they cut right. us a, a deal, you know. Nice. Um, and... It was. It went very well because the you know the stuff went on the radio, which right. at the time was the you know radio two, the kind of mainstream radio here in the UK. Mm-hmm. They took to uh, to this stuff and and most of the following albums up until about three or four years ago when they decided that everything had to change and suddenly my face doesn't fit anymore. But anyway. Well, that's it. I mean, when you approach Capital or you approach Hart with like the new Paul Carrick song, did they go like, Paul Carrick? No, you're you're not Harry Styles. (laughs) Oh, well, they would now. Yeah. I mean, no, I'm over. Uh, Which is a shame because I actually, the, the last couple of albums I made, would have just flown on there a few years ago. You know, they'd be perfect. They'd still be perfect for their uh, listeners, but they're not bothered about their listeners anymore. They're, yeah. they're losing uh, numbers. It's uh, funny you say that because a friend of mine, he's on um, he's on a, a DAB, he's on a network on like three different stations that he does. He's on Magic. And we talk about, I was telling yeah, I'm going to be interviewing Paul Carrick. And he's like, oh, mate, like that that's my jam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, magic, magic were great, but they they were uh, they only tend to play the older stuff, you know. Yeah, they're, they're not too keen on on new stuff, so it's a lot more difficult now. I was warned. I was warned. I was making the last couple of albums, and it was like uh, it's all changed down there. I'm like, oh well, f- fair enough. But um, I've had a fantastic run. Yeah, but you know, so it it is much harder now, but. I'm just making records that I like to make now, and that's it. Which, I mean, like like Mitch and I, we always talk about that. You know, there's music that we like and music that we don't. And I mean, at the end of the day, you kind of want to please yourself to a certain extent. Yeah. Because if you're not making music you know, you like, I mean, what's the point? Well, yeah, no, but but, but that's exactly how I started it, the, the, that 20 years ago with the label. That was uh, the record I wanted to make, and it was honest. And um, I still think they're the, they're the best things I've done even though I've had much more success with bands and stuff. But um, there was, was, and that's what I continued to do. And as I say, even up until the last couple of albums, I thought, I thought, I think they're great. I I think they're honest and, um, and I'm fine with that. You know, I'm, well, talk to me about that, because you, you start off with Satisfy My Soul in 2000, and you said you didn't want to tinker with it, you you had the album you wanted, but now you've made uh, about 10 or 12 since then. Did you not at some point say, hey, maybe I should pitch this one to Sony, or maybe I should pitch it? Like, how come you sort of kept in that groove? Was it just because it was so satisfying to your soul to do it this way? or It, it, it just was working uh fine it was working fine and uh, you know i wasn't answering to anybody the stuff was getting played on the radio and i was you know re-establishing myself as um you know a, a solo artist in a live situation because i i got together with a great little band and bolted myself onto them and you know that's really grown and grown we started playing small venues and what have you but you know we have a, a decent uh, thing going on in, in the UK. You know, we play nice uh, theatres, we can, and all the rest of it. But there's the rub because the UK is is a small 
a small market yeah. and um, it was manageable. Right. And I, I enjoy that aspect of it. But my one regret is not being really getting out there to like the US and Canada and places like that uh, because it's just too big. Um, mm. So, but I mean, I was just happy in that groove. Um, I was making my, my records. We were playing shows. People were loving it and coming back. And, you know, that's not a bad place to be. Now, let's, let me talk about quickly making new music, because I'm looking here. You've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 since 2000. You could, of course, set up a show and do Tempted and do Silent Running. and Lo You could do all the greatest hits, and you wouldn't have to be bothered to, to, to make any new music. Talk to me about the importance as an artist to have a new song, whether it's on the radio or not, having new music is is sort of what it's all about right well i think so um i still think even though i'm delighted to have survived all this time and made mm -hmm. a living and fed my family and had loads of fun um i'll always and if it ended tomorrow i'd say well great thank you uh, yep. but nevertheless i will always think that i could have done you know something better right. and so that's why i keep trying and I, I i'm uh i don't seem to be getting any worse as far as i'm concerned you know i'm <laughs> you know I'm, I'm i'm singing good playing good and writing's a bit of a pain in the bum i mean who needs to do that really but <laughs> well okay um, let me let me take this quote from the I, bbc sorry, just, documentary yeah. sorry if just to finish off the point it, it was yeah. a bit like i'd had a bit of success here and there right. with you know you mentioned uh, Tempted and How Great Long, song. Living song. Years, things like that. But nobody really knew that that was me. And it was it was all sort of in, in a, you know, not a supportive role, but I wanted to establish my own little, little right. canon and my body of work, if you like. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, I interrupted you, but, but you brought up the songwriting. And in the BBC documentary a few years ago, you said, I don't think... I'm a great songwriter. All my songs are very simple, very basic, but as a singer, there is so much you can do with phrasing, intonation, and subtle little changes. Um, listen, you've written a bunch of number ones. You've written a bunch of top tens. I mean, how do you say you're not a good songwriter? I'm, I'm, I'm an okay songwriter, but I, I think I can I think I can make an average song sound better than it might be mm. with yeah. the interpretation and what you know, what, what, what I can do really as, as a vocalist, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say. Right. I mean, at one point, you know, um, in this career, when I was, for instance, working with Squeeze and yeah. we were in the same kind of stable, we, we were all involved with this guy called Jake Riviera who founded Stiff Records and all this crazy guy. And he discovered Elvis Costello. We had Nick Lowe. We Nick Lowe's great. We had squeeze and all these guys who had an edge and an angle and a thing. And I'm still, I'm writing little love songs, you know? So I, I, mm. I was not so much intimidated by this, but I kept, kept my head down. I didn't think I was in the same street as these guys, you know? So, um, it wasn't until I trusted myself and my own instincts and said, well, I'll just do what I do. And, um, and you know that that I don't have an original thought in my head, really. But so um, that's the only reason I say that. I think if you can 
write a simple song that um, hits a nerve or, you know, connects with somebody. That that That's all I'm aiming for, really. Yeah, and guess. when you're surrounded by great writers like that, I mean, doesn't it inspire you and help you try and up your game a little bit as well? No, I would took the easy route. I would just be happy to, you know, play along and, uh, <laughs> oh, what, you want me to sing that one? Great, you know. Yeah. And, and as I said, I was... This was all kind of post new wave and all that, I suppose. And as I say, my style was a bit old fashioned, I think. And um, I was happy to uh, hang on to these guys' coattails, you know. Right. And and by the way, I I will say this as a compliment. There are three guys that could sing, you know, the the, the worst news possible, and I would still buy it and love it. Phil Collins, Peter Gabriel, and you. I mean, oh. you, you, you could sw- you know, you could uh, sing about pandemic or whatever, and I'd be like, "Wow, that's a great fucking song! Wow, listen to that." <laughs> Th- those those three voices are just, you know. Well, that's that's pretty good company. Thank you very much. I take that as a co- massive compliment. Thank you. Now, you you mentioned Nick Lowe. You were on his uh, album, of course, where well, on, on many albums, but you did the uh, "I Knew the Bride" uh, when she used to rock and roll that had Huey Lewis there on the the, the band. Were you in the sessions for that? Were you part of that, or did they come no. in separately? No, <laughs> I, that's what I sort of figured because since they were on it, you weren't. No, um, we were annoyed about that because we'd been playing with Nick up and down the the US and playing all the little dives because we couldn't get arrested and couldn't get on the radio. <laughs> and um, no, and 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 Nick, um, I think it, it, Huey was trying to give a helping hand you know and, and and make things a little more uh, mainstream right and uh, so no i'm not actually playing on that but we used to play every night mind you but um it's a great song but he didn't get you on the record song. though well he was playing. on the record just not on that track from from what i understand um i'm not on that track no i don't no. know is it on an album the rose of england oh i'm on that all over that one yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Okay, so you didn't you didn't get to work with uh, with Huey, which is which is too bad. Um, no, I've met I've met Huey. I mean, we all knew Huey because he was in a band called Clover many years ago, and yeah, they were Streets hanging of out London. In, Great song. They were hanging out in in London. In fact, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but they didn't they play on the first Elvis Costello album. They played on the Elvis Costellos, and of course, exactly. Huey did harmonica with Thin Lizzy. So there you go. So. They were hanging out in London, and then, uh, and um, so they were great guys. We we loved them. Um, let me quickly talk about about those early '80s because you're you're sort of going back and forth between Squeeze and your own stuff, and Mike and the Mechanics, and and at some point, did you say I- I'm just spreading myself too thin? I need to focus on something, or were you just like opportunity knocks? Got to answer. Um. I'm not very smart, you might have noticed, but uh, and also I'm not, I wasn't very single-minded career-wise. You know, I was a I was floating about and um, in a funny way because I think some people think I'm just this mercenary that flits around. It wasn't like that. I was more. I, I was actually quite quite loyal to these people that I'm uh, involved in, right. and possibly to my own detriment. But um, Squeeze was. I mean. I came into Squeeze um, because Jules Holland was the keyboard player and he had left. I don't know if Jules is, Jules is like a household name here. In yeah, the, he's got the, the TV show and it's it's, it's, right. it's, 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 it's big news to be on his show. 
yeah. So, but anyway, he had left the band. They needed a keyboard player. And that's why I came in. I knew this guy, Jake Riviera. He said, yeah, I want to try Paul. They tried a lot of people anyway. And I came in as they did the album East Side Story. Yep. Produced by Elvis Costello. Yep. Elvis suggested I sing the song Tempted. I'm like, yeah, okay, great, fantastic. And uh, everybody loved it. And then the next thing was there was this tour. It was, oh, we got a tour to do. I'm singing the single. These things just happened, you know. They weren't, they weren't part of any master plan. But I was enjoying myself being in, in, in Squeeze and taking a back seat and, as I say, hanging on to their coattails. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it was pointed out to me that some some point you got to, if you're going to be a singer-songwriter, you know, you gotta, you've got to do it. And the last thing they needed was a singer-songwriter because they got the songs, they got the singers. Yep. They didn't need another one, you know. So um, I, I left. I think they were disappointed that I, I left, but, um, you know, it was just onwards and upwards. Just quickly, you mentioned singer-songwriter. You started off as a drummer, and then you, you, you run into the Hammond organ and go, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. T talk to me about your progress. What, what was the original plan when you started off young? Did, did you want to be a singer-songwriter, or did you want to be, like, sort of, like, since we mentioned Phil Collins, did you want to be the next Phil Collins and sort of drum for Genesis? No, 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 no. I'm much older than that, you know. I go way back of course. further than that, but... Um, of course. No, I wanted to be Ringo. There you go. <laughs> Not Pete yeah. Best? I don't even think Ringo wanted to be Ringo, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I saw the Beatles a couple of times in the wow. Sheffield City Hall. Yeah. And um, no, that was really the thing that got me at it was the whole Liverpool, the Mersey beat boom. I mean, I, I played drums. I wasn't very good back then. Right. Um, I didn't have any chops or anything. I, but... Um, so, but I was playing in a little band, and then the singer we had in one of these bands is a seventeen-year-old, six-foot Jamaican guy. He was the lead singer, and he was poached by this soul band. And he said, he said to me, "We're we're looking for a organ player," and uh, I said, "Well, I'll do it." <laughs> um, and I kind of bluffed my way in. I I, I persuaded my mum to to sign and so I could do the higher purchase thing and bought a, an organ and I couldn't really play. I just knew a few chords and uh, I bluffed my way in. That's how I got into playing keyboards. A lot of the time, it's really all you need though. <laughs> Fake it till you make it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got away with it for a long time now. So. <laughs> 40, 40, 50 years actually. Of That's what I always say. Exactly. I'm the best mediocre guitar player you'll ever meet, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the the thing is with the with the Hammond organ, you know, it's a bit of a specialist beast. Oh yeah. And half of it is, you know, knowing how to voice things and, you yeah. know, basically get the right sounds for the right place. So you can get away with murder on the mm -hmm. on it if you if you've got a clue to what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. half the battle's trying to get that tower to sound half decent, you know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh I got an interesting little tidbit for you. It's funny, like, you know, when you talk to certain comedians, they refer to some comedians, like, you've got the arena headlining comedians, like the Kevin Hart's and the Dave Chappelle's, but then you've got, like, the Larry David's, who are the comedian's comedian. 
And Paul Carrick to me is the singer-songwriter's singer-songwriter in a way. Mm-hmm. Because not necessarily known super, super to the public in pop culture sense, but I'll give an example. Shania Twain and Mutt Lang, when they were writing the song From This Moment On, they mm-hmm. were looking for somebody that had a voice like Paul Carrick to duet the song with. And they chose... That's a quote. That's a they, quote, actually. No. Yes. No. And, and they chose Brian White because Shania felt that his voice reminded her of you. Are yes. you kidding me? No, yeah. that's an actual quote. My goodness me. Shania Twain wanted you and uh, got the other guy. But they, she should. Wow. I, I keep saying she should have just called Paul. She should. But did yes. I have any hair then? Maybe not. You see. <laughs> Maybe when, not. when did that song come out, uh, Jeremy? That was 1997. Brian White was 21 years old at the time. And wow. yeah, so that was, that, well, there you go. Yeah. I, I'm going to look it up. Yeah, it was it was recent in a because the the song just went double platinum or something like that. And he did an interview talking about how Mutt Lang and Shania called him on their tour bus on like their terrible, you know, cellular phone at the time. And he they were like, yeah, she was like, you know, you really your voice really reminds me of Paul Carrick. And that's the kind of vibe that I want to go for on this song. And I thought that was so cool. Wow. I got a couple of other things a bit like that, actually, how I even got involved with Mike and the Mechanics Hmm. was because Mike. Rutherford, who's the guitar player in Genesis, yeah. was making an album, a solo album, and he wasn't, he wasn't going to sing on it. And he was writing songs with this guy, B.A. Robertson. Yes, Scottish, Silent Scottish Running guy. and uh, Living Years. Damn right. Exactly. And um, he was writing songs with him. And B.A. was writing songs with this other guy in a separate situation. And they had this song and they said, you know, we should get that guy that sings that song. How long has this been going on? <laughs> and they didn't know. I got a call from BA because he, he's not back with it coming forward. You know, we, yeah. I didn't know him. And I, I was actually on the road with Nick Lowe. And he said, explain the situation. He said, would you come down? We want to pitch this song for a movie. Would you do us a favor, come down and sing it? And I said, yeah, because, you know, you never know. And uh I went down and sang this song, which they were pitching for this movie. And um, he said to me, oh, by the way, I'm writing songs with Mike Rutherford from Genesis. Do you fancy coming down and singing, you know, having a having a go at that? And I said, yeah, sure. Why not? Right. So the following week or something, I went down with B.A. and um, went in the studio and they said, we got this track. It was three chords for about. 10 minutes he said just go in there and just blues away and i went in there and they said the only bit we got is can you hear me can you hear me running just say you know and then just blues away wow. that and that's what i did and they they liked it and ba said oh i'll go away and write the lyric for it and that that was my introduction to mike and the mechanics wow, wow. How about that? all right let me quickly ask you about mike and the mechanics uh paul young and yourself are up here on the albums um, talk to me about that choice of having two lead singers rather than just having one. W- was that because Mike wanted to make a solo record and wanted different voices? Or yeah. was it always part of the plan? Well, t- talk to me, because I always thought that was strange. But then when you listen to the songs, you go, it works. <laughs> well, yeah. I-, I don't know how it actually initially came about, because they were just recording tracks. You know? Okay. And Mike decided he didn't want to sing, which I think was a wise decision. And they got a, they got on the first album, they got several singers in. Yeah. BA had, had suggested me 
The producer, Chris Neal, had suggested Paul Young, who was in a, a band called Sad Cafe from uh, Manchester. Mm-hmm. Paul was a great guy, a great singer. Yeah. And there was one or two other guys on that first album as well. There were more kind of session guys, backing type singers. And then when we had the kind of initial success and he put the band together to become a touring entity, it was, they just took me and Paul. And then eventually by the second, third album, the identity of the band became Mike, Paul and myself. Mm. And that's how it came about. And it worked great uh, because we all were experienced guys. We wanted it to work. We wanted it to be successful. We knew what it was like being in a band and you had the two singers and it, you know, different uh, personalities. Paul was the outgoing rock and roll guy. He didn't just sing rock and roll, though. I mean, he, he, he sang ballads too, but I was more the sensitive one, you know, the soulful <laughs> one. And so, yeah. And it kind of worked. Well, when you got all different personalities like that in the band, I mean, you take everybody and mash it all together, and that's what the magic creates, you know? Yeah. 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 And as I said, you know, we all were happy to have the opportunity. I mean, because um, going, Back to the what we were originally talking about. Genesis were huge at the at, at the time, and we did have the benefit of we made an album, and it was going to be put out there, and it was going to have a little uh, promotion behind it, which it did, and um, the public took to it to a large extent. Yeah, the like- album. I was going to say, did you prefer being in a band with the guys, or is it more fun being just Paul Carrick? Well, I enjoy I enjoy both aspects equally, but um Well, you know, when you're solo you don't like the guitar player, yeah, fuck off, you hire another one. But if you're in right, a band, you're that. kinda stuck with them. <laughs> we couldn't really sack Mike though, could we? I mean uh, it's his van. Um No, I mean it works beautifully actually because we were in this band that you know, we were all trying to make it work and uh, it was different to the other stuff because I was involved with Nick Lowe running up and down the freeways of America banging our head against the wall you know playing in these little dives or opening up for bands on the arenas and um, suddenly was part of this successful thing but then Mike would go off and do Genesis. And then I could go back to playing with my dodgy mates. <laughs> and, and, and I made a couple of albums in the like that. And so it, it worked pretty good, actually. Yeah. Uh, I think eventually they came a point and also um, in 1999, you know, Paul sadly passed away. Mm-hmm. And I think we probably should have called it a day at that point, but we, we soldiered on and, and tried to get along. But then I realized, look, there were a number of factors, but I, I wanted to have a crack at, as I say, doing my own body of work that was, right. you know, this is what I am. You know, I, I, I love contributing to projects and what have you, but I, I thought it was time that I tried to establish myself. And that's what yeah. I set out to do. Now, I know we're going to run out of time, and I've got another million questions, but I do want to ask you this, which is sort of what a f- what fans wanted to wanted me to ask. The Living Years is mm-hmm. one of the most powerful songs you will hear, and generally it will make you cry. 
Uh, as a singer, talk to me about that effect that you have on people, but for you, is, does it still have the same power after singing it, obviously, hundreds and hundreds of times now? I mean, what does that song mean yeah, to you? It, it, it doesn't matter to me about singing uh, songs uh, over and over again. I can right. always find something. Right, the different. intonation, the inflection, exactly. the phrasing. Yeah. All, all that stuff. Um, it doesn't it doesn't well and and i'm fortunate because uh you know i've been associated with some good songs you know so just that a makes few. a difference so but you may or may not know as a child i lost my father when i was mm-hmm. 11 years old mm-hmm. and that was probably even still you know the most profound event in in life you know and um yeah. Yeah. a massive uh, a massive thing to happen, you know, for for for, for us and, uh, and our family, and I I always carried that along with me. Um, so when it came to deciding who would sing which song, and the decision is usually made by Mike and the producer, they'd get both Paul and I to sing <laughs> the songs, and then they say, oh, "Oh, sometimes it was obvious. This is a Youngy song. This is for Paul." Yeah. But uh, sometimes we'd both try it and then they would decide who sang it. But I, th- I I knew I had to sing that song because I knew that I could give it a bit of um, gravitas, if you like. That's probably yeah. a highfalutin word. but No. Um, no. So, we'll um, add a little mustard to it. No, but it's just, you know, my um, my father is going to turn 92 on um, September 11th. And he's had dementia for the, for the better part of his 80s and early 90s. And... I haven't had a chance to say goodbye because he doesn't know who the hell I am anymore. Oh, God. And so when I hear that song, it it just sort of tears me apart because my father didn't pass away. He's still there, but for all intensive purposes, he's passed away spiritually. So, and it, it just it kills me that song, but mm. it kills me beautifully. You know, it's not. Yeah. It's 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 rough. It's going to make me cry right now. Quite frankly, yeah. just talking about it. Yeah. Well, um, I'm sorry to hear. Sorry yeah. to hear about that. I, with me, it was much more sudden. I mean, my father had an accident, and yeah. two days later, he he, he passed away. And I, I honestly, I um, because the song's not really about my relationship with my father. I had a great relationship with him, but it, uh, but I can remember like it was yesterday. And when I come to sing that line, I wasn't there that morning. Mm-hmm. I remember coming down the stairs. And seeing my mum and my uncle, I'm tearing up now. Yeah, see, and, and That's um, man. I just remember seeing them, and my uncle burst into tears, and my mum burst, and I just, I thought, well, I know, I know what's happened, yeah. and and I, I actually, that comes into my head every time I sing the damn song, you know. Yeah, <laughs> Weird. and and. You've done different versions of it, different iterations. You know, more acoustic, more upbeat, more sort of big bandish, and and every one just works. It, yeah. And you just you're just like, oh, with a song God. like that, it really is about the intention behind the performance. I mm-hmm. think because mm. it, any any singer could sing any song, but if unless you have the intention, yeah, it just could be nothing. Yeah. Mm. And, and, and yeah, yeah. Um, well, you here, try telling B. A. Robertson that. 
<laughs> I will. Here, uh, before we run out of time, just real quick, uh, since you've done the, uh, the the solo career and all your records, musically you've been all over the map, and, and I mean that in a good sense. You've done songs like uh, Behind Closed Doors, which sounds a little bit more country. You've, of course, done Don't Shed a Tear, which is a pop song. You've done The, the, the Living Years with Mike and him. You've done all these different songs. Is that a... Is that... First, is that great to have that freedom that you're not boxed into? Oh, no, no, no. Paul's got to be a heavy metal singer. Paul's got to well, be I, a... Well, I, I enjoy doing all the different things. I mean, it's probably not the best plan if you want to, <laughs> you know, if you want people to understand who who it, who you are and what you do. Yeah. I think people are quite confused. Mind you, most people, the general public, don't know that I sang the living years or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. I'm past the point of it being important to me. Right. I've survived. I've kept a roof over the family's head. I've met some great people. I'm still doing what I like doing. I'm going to be okay. I wish I'd have known that in my thirties and forties, mind you, but you know, it's going to be okay. So as I say, it's probably not the best career path, to take but um i enjoy it i think in a way and if i i'm probably gonna sound like i'm blowing my own trumpet here now but i can make a decent fist of anything yeah <laughs> that's a but which is not necessarily a good thing yeah but hey <laughs> but, still, um, but hey what's the old saying i did it my way <laughs> <laughs> i should do that yeah i'll do a cover of that country Stop. Yes, yes you, yes, you should. And uh, cover a Shania song just to show to her, though. Yeah. <laughs> hey, remind me what that song is. I it's a, it so down. the song is From This Moment On. From This, from this moment, moment On, it was on the Come On Over album in 1997. And it's a, there's the duet version with Brian White, but then there's the, also the Shania single version. There's the solo version. There's the pop on tour version. I'm, I'm a huge Shania Twain fan, so that's why I know it. <laughs> yeah. I, I did a session once for, for Mutt. Really? Langer, a keyboard session, yeah. Oh, I actually, hold on. I actually left the session thinking, well, I arrived at the session. Yeah. And there was a sax player that I knew very well. Mm -hmm. Who shall remain nameless. And he was ashen-faced, putting his sax away like this. And I thought, are you okay, man? And he said, yeah, 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 fine. <laughs> and then I went into the session and... Uh, by the two hours later, I think when I left the, the session, I was convinced I couldn't play anything. <laughs> I was, and I felt like I knew exactly what the sax player had gone because Mutt is a, has a particular way of recording and it's mm -hmm. very specific. And right, and uh, I wasn't that kind of player, you know. So, uh, what kind of direction was he giving you that just like? Well, I never got much further than the introduction of the song because it was a, it was a bit like the old uh, Trogs tape where they said, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Did it end but, uh, up on an album? Did I, I doubt it very much. I doubt it very much. I didn't even send him a bill. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's, I, that's that's what Mutt does. I mean, you're in there with that Hammond and you're going one it's, key it's at a time. You, it's funny you say that, though, because, I mean, we've talked to so many people that have worked with Mutt and they they always talk about that, you know, he's very particular in the session, but he's never mean about it. Like, he's just trying to get you to be the best you can. But was that no, your I'm, experience? I'm sure he wasn't trying to be mean, but I, I, I was putting pressure on myself, really, because... I, 
I used to get sessions and I said, I'm self-taught musician and, you know, I've been doing it a long time now. So I, I, I know what I can and can't do. But back then, sometimes if I would get on a session, um, I would know immediately if I was going to be okay or not. Yeah. And it was one of them where I thought, no, I'm, this is not okay. You're like, what did I I've get been found into? out, you know? <laughs> I'm caught. <laughs> I, I believe it's called imposter syndrome or something like that. I think that's what it's. Interesting. But, uh, yeah. Wow. What, what was it that was the issue? Like, was it like a timing issue? You couldn't play on like, a, was he using drum machines yet at that point? Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I I don't remember it that well, and I, I'm making a mountain out of a molehill, probably. And please <laughs> but, don't. But we love don't it. Tell we're... Mutt. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna text Mutt after this, but like, and, and I love his records. <laughs> I love his records too. I mean, the Shania Twain records are fantastic. Yeah. Well, go and listen to from this moment on, because uh, hey, that kind of you know, Brian was uh, you were the inspiration, basically. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. as I said, it's not the first time I've heard a reference like that because somebody once told me, and I this could be completely wrong and false, but you know the song "Everything I Do, I Do for You." Yeah, yes, Brian Adams. Yeah. Um, I mean, that can't be right, can it? But somebody told me that it, that it was Michael Kamen who was the producer. Yeah, it was the composer. That, yeah, that because he, he rang me up at one point and said. Oh, by the way, I've got a song. It would be great for you to sing. Now, and I've always wondered. I wonder if it was that one. But then again, wow. Brian, Brian does a great job on it. So um, yeah. And, well, and they did, did Brian too. write it as well? I think he did. Didn't he? Yeah, it was Brian and Mutt Lang for oh, well, waking up the probably, neighbors record. Probably. Uh, yeah. Probably that, got that the wrong the, end of the stick there, but that was the Robin Hood movie, I think. And then yes. Michael yeah. came and he did another one with them called All for All for Love. And yeah, with Sting, Sting and Rod Stewart. Yeah. Yeah. All oh, right. Could have been that one. Who Might knows? Both. We'll I mean, never been, know. Yeah, that would have been you cool see, to have, you know, Brian Adams, Paul Carrick, and Sting. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Including cool. live albums, I've counted Paul has 27. So for the next album, we need the Shania cover. Yep. We need yep. Everything I Do For You cover. Okay. That's all. That's all. That's all I'm asking for. That's well, it. I do want to <laughs> do a country album, actually. Mm. Well, that's In, what Jeremy's it, working on right now. So that's perfect. Is that right? Yeah. 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 I mean, it, I, I don't know if it would fit into the modern criteria of, you know, what a country record is, but I mean, along the lines of behind closed doors, you know, that, that kind of, uh, well, well, behind yeah. closed doors is very a nostalgic, kind of like lonesome country. If you want a modern country, you got to get Def Leppard drums on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm definitely more the, um, traditional melancholic, melancholic, uh, Melancholic. Melancholic. Mel mel melancholic, yeah. Melancholic. Uh, but is that the kind of uh, country album you'd want to make? More sort of old school country and throw yeah. in a few fiddles? Or do you want to go more modern country? Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to do that. I mean, it's it's probably not a commercially great idea, but yeah, I love the the, the fiddle uh, stuff, mm -hmm. you know, and all, all that. Yeah, definitely. Oh, Jeremy's on that right now. He's working really? with uh, yeah. Tommy Denander. Paul, from, we'll have uh, to, uh, it's all secret, Mitch. Keep it under wraps. But uh, okay. yeah, like, yeah, like. Oh, maybe we'll get together and write something. Well, That'd be kind of well, cool. Well, don't tell me. You know I can't keep a secret. <laughs> Definitely. There we go. Uh, I could do this for another half hour, two hours, but uh, we will leave it on that since we normally stick. But here is Paul's latest one-on-one, uh, -on -one, which I have and I love. And I have all... Did you just buy like 20 new CDs from him this week? Oh, uh, listen to this. I've got the uh, collection. 
I've got the uh, live album. I've got the uh, independent uh, live album. Now, Paul, is it true that when you buy the CDs from your from your website, it's actually you running the PayPal and you write back your shipping well, confirmation? Or no, well, Paul, Paul, Cole, no, but I, I do that. sign the stuff if people yeah. want it signed. I definitely do sign it. I mean, it's a friend of mine who used to be in the um, in my band actually, Paul yeah, Copley. Paul Copley, yeah. Paul Copley, yeah. He sadly he he had a couple of strokes a, a, a few years ago and he had to leave the band and he mm. but he made a really amazing recovery and uh he runs the uh all that side of things yeah and uh he's he's doing great now but um well hey compliments to the chef because mitch has been raving about the customer service from your uh from your team so i'll tell him yep. yeah yep. I, t- I tell you what we once i remember some somebody ordering something uh, online a CD and I remember I had to go to somewhere to get get one and I signed this CD and I ran down to the post box and the the band were waiting to go off and I put it in the post box and a couple of days later the guy rang up and he said listen this uh, CD case is cracked <laughs> you know, <I> thought, <laughs> oh, sorry. come on <laughs> blame yeah, the postal service as somebody who buys cds a lot uh from mail order cracked is just one of those things you have to expect every so often i mean it's just it's uh but but i do recommend head over to paulcarrick.net it, it's fantastic all the albums are there and you've got some live shows that you can uh sort of pay-per-view or whatever come on perfect it's beautiful thank you you. (laughs) thank you paul absolute pleasure let us consider a part two and uh the promoter by the way in montreal did is looking in to trying to get you here because she loves you well listen i spoke to our booking agent today who books us in the uh, uk and, and and europe and we were talking we'd like to get over there now um next year uh, to the US and Canada. So they should get in touch. He's, he has a booking agency called Asgard. His name is Paul Charles. And uh, what's your what's your friend's name? It is... Um, oh, Ruben Fogel, isn't it? Ruben Fogel. Ruben Fogel. Yep. I'll, that's another... I'll make a note of that as well. Yes, the Ruben... Um, Ruben actually works with people that you've worked with. Uh, they've recently brought in uh, Tony Levin to do, um, to do right. gigs. Uh, right. What are what are they? Oh, they pitched us Zakero today. What was the other one they're working Zuccaro. on? Um, Zakero. Yeah, they just had like Engelbert Humperdinck here, and like yeah, 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 like really, really cool. But shows. who's? Oh, um, Robert Fripp is the one uh, that we're working with. Uh, they want us to do an interview with Robert next week. So okay, so it's right up your alley in terms of they know that market. You know. Yeah. Good. And Tony Levin, man, greatest guy. Just what a genius. You know, I, we did an album called yeah. Spin One Two. Yep. Well, I never know how to pronounce that album, but yes, I do know you did that album back in. <laughs> it's, it's called good, Spin- actually. It's it's a lot of uh, covers, but, but sort of rock covers. Mm. And um, yeah, hold on. I have I have a Spin One Two in my uh, in my phone. Wait, what is it here? Spin. What song do I have in my phone? Uh, the, one of my favorites is uh, "Can't uh, Find My Way Home." Yeah, that's it. That's what I have in my phone. Is it? Yeah. There you go. That's it. That's that's the one I have in my phone. There you go. See, with Tony Levin. Yeah. There you go. Thank you, Paul. As we okay, say in Montreal, go because I'm going to, 
I'm going to a soccer match this evening with my son, so I better get a move on. Oh, yeah. Get a, head on up. An all-new episode of the Mitchell Fine and Jeremy White Show. Tuesday at noon. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews. Bonus content. And episodes on demand now. Visit YouTube.com slash Jeremy White Show. Follow Mitch and Jeremy on Twitter. Yeah, they're verified. At Mitch LaFon and at Jeremy White MTL.